Last week I began working through a study that we've entitled Prayer as Jesus Taught It. Um, many of you are aware that there is a prayer in Scripture called the Lord, we've called it the Lord's Prayer. Jesus never called it that. Uh, it's been titled that. I think uh, there's another prayer in Scripture that might better be entitled the Lord's Prayer. And in the midst of it, somewhere is a, a phrase that rings very, very clear to our ear. It would be something along the lines of, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Y'all know that prayer, right? Yeah. Um, the disciples recognized that Jesus spent a lot of time with his Father in prayer. Scripture tells us it was his habit to rise early and to uh, walk off into secluded areas to spend that one-on-one -on -one time with the Father. And recognizing how important prayer was uh, to him, his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Well, as we've begun this study, last week we, we made it through the first, really the first clause, which is our Father in heaven. Um, our Father identifies the one to whom we pray, but there's some other things going on there as well. You see, we would identify him by his person because that's, that's kind of how we're geared. We think of what someone's done. So he is our creator. He is our king. He is our judge. He is our savior. He is our provider, our redeemer. You just go right on across the board and think about all the things God has done for us and in us. But secondly, there's, a, there's that word, our, at the beginning of that. He's our Father. Y'all remember that? He's our Father. We are connected most when we are joined together coming to Him. It's one thing for you as a parent to be in a place and one of your children come to you with a request or with a compliment or with something on their heart. It's another thing altogether when all of your children show up at one place at one time to share their hearts collectively and connectedly with you. We have the privilege of calling God our Father, joining together in corporate prayer and yet also in private prayer and private worship. In heaven merely indicates, uh, we think, where he is. Nobody. I wish it was just a locale. You can't GPS heaven. Can I have an amen? You can't GPS heaven. As a matter of fact, when he speaks of our Father in heaven, he is addressing his superior authority. God has a superior authority over everything that is. He has a superior perspective. So when there are things going on in your life that you don't understand and you wonder why, God, are you doing it this way, just be assured God has a superior perspective. One of my very favorite examples of this is in the Old Testament. I, I told you about it last week, but if you'd allow me, I want to recur. I want to go over it again, all right? Because this, this, Joseph is one of my favorites. Y'all like Joseph in the Old Testament. I love Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph, he's young. He's impetuous. He has a dream. He can't keep his mouth closed. So he goes and tells his brothers all that's going on, infuriates them because they think he's just spouting off. Do young people ever spout off? All who've ever experienced a young person spouting off say Amen. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, he's, they think he's just spouting off. The next thing you know, they hate that boy so bad they can't stand him. So they want to kill him. 
And one of his older brothers made the statement. He said, hey, don't kill him. Let's just sell him. We're not going to hurt him. We're just going to sell him. So his own brother sell him into slavery. He goes into Egypt. The cream of Egyptian society buys him, abuses him, and imprisons him. Think about that one for a moment. You know why? Because at the tail end of the book of Genesis, there's a, there's a statement that, that just rings. It ought to ring through the halls of our mind. It ought, to, it, it ought to ring in our ears every time we think about it. We don't understand why. He told his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now tell me how much maturation and growth has to go on in somebody for them to be able to look at the wrongs of their life and say, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Amen? But you think to yourself as we're reading this story, God, could you not have done this a different way? God's perspective is greater than ours. It's bigger than ours. See, I don't know. I don't know what other way God could have done it. I just know the way God did it. Can I have an amen? Amen. amen. <laughs> How many times have we known people who wanted a child, and they wanted a child desperately. And they went through the process of fertility treatment. They're doing everything right to try to have a baby. And they just don't seem to be able to have a baby. And then all of a sudden, they say, well, I'll tell you what, it's just not. In God's plan for us to have a child, we're going to adopt. And they go out, and they adopt a beautiful little baby out of a situation where things could be so much worse for that child to bring them in, they're loving them, and then she gets morning sickness. We all know about situations like that, don't we? We've had it happen around here at least twice that I know of. Folks, why in the world would God not give them a child? Well, maybe God intended for them to adopt a child. Did you ever think about that? Did you ever think that maybe God's got a plan bigger than we can imagine? His perspective is bigger. His plan is bigger. But this, this, this prayer is not just some hocus-pocus mumbo-jumbo. Jesus is, is praying with them and giving them a tool to learn with. It's, it contains everything Jesus found necessary to teach his disciples how to pray. And let me just let me remind you of something. It isn't just the act of bowing one's head. By the way, in Scripture, if you'll take a good hard look, people who were sincere in prayer did not bow as we bow. They didn't come and fall down on a knee or two knees with their hands together in front of them. By the way, do you know where that came from? You must remember that the, a lot of the, the, the imagery in people's minds as they interpret things winds up showing up in what's been, what's been read and, and in, in, in paintings that are painted and in things that are modeled. In the Middle Ages, whenever a, a, a serf and when I say surf, I'm not talking about surfing USA. I'm talking about somebody who lives on the land, who, who's farming your land, would go and pledge their allegiance to the landowner. And the posture of that was that the person would come in and kneel before them, put their hands together, and then the landowner would, with his hands, surround their hands 
symbolizing that one had submitted and the other committed to this relationship. And yet we, we see paintings and we see people kneeling with their hands together in prayer. But if you read scripture, you know where you find them? Flat on their face, prostrate before God. So sometimes some of the things we kind of pick up and, and tend to think of wind up coming from somewhere other than Scripture itself. So what I want you to grasp is this. Jesus is giving them some raw tools to use. And it begins with, our Father who art in heaven. So turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, the book of Matthew chapter 6, and I will begin reading in verse number 9. If you'd like to stand, you're more than welcome to do that. You know what? I left something out. Let me hold up just a minute. I need to, I need to reiterate this, this definition. Go ahead, Lester. Move it back for me. I want you to remember that prayer is really just an humble you entering the throne room of heaven to present you to God the Father through your mediator, his son, Jesus Christ, amplified by the Holy Spirit of God, which finally makes your measly little self-centered petition presentable before the King of Kings. How many times do we go to God and say, God, I want to thank you for all your blessings. Now, I'd like to have, and then we begin to work our list. I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. I need you to touch this person, this person. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I I want you to understand, God is not interested in your hocus-pocus or your mumbo-jumbo. God's interested in you appearing before him. Because his son has made it possible. And making sense out of whatever is in our heart is the Holy Spirit of God who is magnifying, who is, who's groaning for us into the ear of God the Father. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, this morning, I pray that we would leave behind this prayer as our, as our go-to, our standby. This is a model. God, help us to share our heart with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You've been in public gatherings where they'll say, well, let's, let's everybody say the Lord's Prayer. Well, you're, you're, you're reciting the model that Jesus gave that I don't think was intended to be used as strictly their way of praying Because if you think about it, the other times we do have record of Jesus praying, he didn't say this. He's giving them that model. So it began with our Father, which art in heaven. And now comes to one of the most misinterpreted, misunderstood words in the entire entire prayer. (laughs) Little boy went home one day and told his mother that uh, they, were, they were praying to Harold. And she said, what are you talking about? She said, well, it's in there. It's in the Bible. It says, Harold be thy name. Isn't it misunderstood? By the way, hallowed 
is an interesting, interesting word. I'll get to that in just a moment. But let me ask you this. What's in a name? What's in a name? We say hallowed be thy name, but we don't call him hallowed, do we? As a matter of fact, hallowed is really not even how we would say it in modern English. We'd say hallowed. By the way, just so you don't, don't get messed up here, we're about to celebrate a day that uses this word. We call it Hallow's Eve. And over time, it was shortened into Halloween. Hallow, meaning that which is set apart for God, that which is holy, that which is lifted. What you may not realize is this, November 1st is All Saints Day. And in the, in the mystical, superstitious world of the medieval church, they were under the impression that if November 1st were, the, were All Saints Day, where we celebrate all the saints who've been canonized and who we, we, we look at as saints, then surely the night before must be evil at its highest pitch trying to interrupt the day we celebrate our, our saints or our hallows. How many of y'all knew that? Well, now you left with some, some new information. It's called Halloween because the people then thought that that's when evil would be at its highest and fullest expression on the night before we celebrate the saints who've been canonized by the church. And in that, in that regard, the Roman Catholic Church. But what's in a name? Well, when we name our kids, we tend to choose one of a couple of different methods. First off, we may choose a name that just sounds good to our ear. Now, I can remember Miss Donna and I sitting down, and we would throw these names back and forth. <clears throat> she did not want Jedediah or Zebulun. Why? I don't know. I want, <laughs> Andy's thanking her. Um, I, uh, I did not want Maston. I got hung with this name. I know what comes with this name. I wanted something better for my kids. Maston Ernest Jackson. Who would do that to a child? I mean, that within itself is abuse. Anyway, we, we, we think through the names. Maybe Billy Joe or Bobby Sue. Or maybe David Allen. Y'all with me? We, we sound them out, and we like for them to, to rhyme. You know, the really funny thing is, we do the same thing with girls' names, not realizing that just about 18, 20 years later, it's all going to change anyway. Right? Yeah. Whitney's going to be a smart. Will you be smarter? I'm just, I'm teasing. I'm teasing, sweetie. But our, our ladies change their names. So we go to all this trouble because, and we use this, this idea of, well, this sounds good with this, this sounds good with this. And then if we don't like any of the given names, we'll just make them up. We'll just make them up. This is no joke. Little, little children that uh, were in an area that we worked with in, uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, their names were spelled, they were twins, L-E-M-O-N-J-E-L-L-O, and O-R-A-N-G-E-J-E-L-L-O. Lamangelo and Orangelo. If I'm lying, I'm dying. When you look at it, it's just orange jello and lemon jello. But somebody thought it sounded good, and those children have that for a name. Um, I, had, 
I've, I've heard many others. But the long and the short of the matter is, in our culture, we go by sound. Or maybe we want to honor someone. Maybe we, uh, maybe we want to honor a grandparent and give them at least a portion of a grandparent's name. <clears throat> my, my, uh, some of my great, or my granddaughters, uh, Jonathan's girls, bear portions of their name that come from other people that are in our lineage, in our family. Some of you all have, know, know men who are named exactly their father's name, comma, junior, right? They're named in honor, right? And then you have famous quarterbacks who do really good, and while they're in town, people are having babies, and Peytons are showing up everywhere. You know, we had a boom of Peytons, little baby boys named Peyton. Showing up in Knoxville. What's that? Girls too. Oh, I, I didn't mean to be sexist. <clears throat> yeah, a little girl's name named Peyton. I mean, we honor people in giving names, right? Why am I going into all this? Because I want you to understand in Scripture, particularly the Old Testament, names were given that meant something. How many of y'all have ever heard the name Abel? You know, as in Cain and you know what Abel means? Breath. Breath. Which is really ironic since how he had it beat out of him. Breath. Jacob. In, in, uh, in Hebrew, it's pronounced Yaakov. It's not Jacob. It's Yaakov. And literally what it means is a supplanter or one who comes on the heels of another. If you'll remember, that was, that was picturesque of what happened when their mother was in labor. Because if you'll remember, there was a hand that exited the birth canal. And the nurses who were with them recognized there were two. They tied a string around his wrist. And then in the process, he withdrew his hand back into the birth canal. And then the other child was born first. So Esau, which by the way means hairy, and not H-A-R-R-Y, but H-A-I-R-Y. Esau, the hairy one, was born. And then here he is. What are we going to name him? Well, it looks like a little gorilla. I guess we'll name him Harry. But it had a name. It had meaning. And then Jacob is born. And then here he is. The supplanter, the one who's on the heels of, one who started out first but, but came later. Um, Hezekiah means Yahweh strengthens. There's a king in the Old Testament by the name of Hezekiah. I mean, that name means Yahweh strengthens. You know John in the New Testament? You know the, the, uh, the apostle John, the writer of the Gospels? John comes from a, it, it's a little bit more of a, of a longer name, and John is a contraction of it, but it literally, it literally means Yahweh is gracious. And then there's one that's kind of interesting. Y'all ever heard of the name Yeshua? Yeshua, anybody ever heard of the name Yeshua? Okay, well in the Old Testament, Yeshua was expressed in the name Joshua. That's how we would say it. In the New Testament, it's expressed in the name Jesus. That's how we say it. There's a, the, we draw a distinction between the two. However, both names mean Yahweh is salvation. Well, why does that matter? Because I want you to understand that in Scripture, a name is not just a pretty sounding thing. We hang on something. So when we say, hallowed be thy name, we're not just hanging a pretty word on, on, at the end of the salutation of the Lord's prayer. 
There's identification in a name. God is identified by many names in Scripture. Each name has an individual meaning. And God has even identified himself. How many of y'all realize that God identified himself in four different ways in Scripture? He identified himself four different names in Scripture. The first time we really see anything is the, really the second word in the Old Testament. It's not the second word in your Bible. It's the second word in Hebrew. The first two words are barashit Elohim. Y'all have ever heard of, you ever heard the word Elohim? A name of God. It literally means the multiplicity of power or all powerful. Now the interesting thing about Elohim, and I've told some of you this, so forgive me for repeating, but this is a good one to remember. Right from the get-go, we get, we get some inkling that God is more than just one person. Three in one, because Elohim is a Hebrew word with a plural ending. When we see a word with a plural ending, we know that, that somehow that indicates more than one. So we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit spoken of and referenced in a vague way in, at the very beginning of Scripture. Barashit Elohim. In the beginning, God. And that's how, we, that's how we translate that. As he was speaking to Moses, Moses was watching sheep. He saw this really neat light flickering this bush that appeared to be burning and as he approached it he began to hear God speak and in the course of the conversation he's he's telling God God I you know okay I'll go but who do I tell him sent me and he said I am that I am y'all remember that literally it, it can be translated the existing one the one who is was and forever shall be Adonai is the name that is the general name for God, Adonai. He is our God. We think about that. But then there's a very personal name, a name that, that is, is a little more intimate. Remember me telling you the difference between Pater and Abba? Remember that? Well, Pater is father. Father, you know, a little more formal. And then Abba, which is daddy. You with me? All right. Well, this is not a pet name by any means, but this is, the, this is the covenantal name that the children of Israel used in reference to God. Yehovah. Yahweh. And so careful were they with the name Yahweh, they wouldn't even say it. They would refer to it as the name. Because they didn't want to violate that command that says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in. He was their God. He's Yahweh. He is the, the, the leader. He is the one who has chosen his people Israel. Other passages in Scripture use a series of what are called compound names. Some of you have heard some of these. Some of you haven't. I'm going to run quickly through them so that uh, you kind of you get a gist. One of them is El Elyon. El, the E-L sound, literally means God or God of. God of the Most High. He is the Most High God, El Elyon. El Olan, the Everlasting God. El Shaddai, God Almighty. Yahweh Jireh, 
the Lord provides. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace. Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts or armies. Yahweh Medkeshim, the Lord is the sanctifier. Yahweh Roy, the Lord is our shepherd. Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. Yahweh Shama, the Lord is there. Yahweh Elkim, the Lord of Israel. Kadosh Israel the Holy One of Israel, and Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals. Our Father is known by many different names that, per, that pertain to the different functions, the different things He does. Imagine if we had multiple names. Imagine if we had the storekeeper, the broom pusher, the rock miner, they're descriptive of what we do and who we, who, who we are, the function that we give instead of, instead of just the sweet-sounding little names that we give our children. I need you to understand, when it says, Hallowed be thy name, there's a reason they use the word. The name spoken of in this passage is not so much a given name, but it's who he is, his character, and his supreme authority being pointed to. See, if you'll think about it, we're told that Jesus began to pray, Our Father in heaven. And I walked you through all that was wrapped up in that. He is my Father in his official capacity. He is my Abba in relationship. And yet, lest I forget, hallowed is his name. There are many names, but there's only one God, and hallowed is his name. Hallowed literally means to venerate or to make worthy of honor, to separate from profane things unto God alone, or to even purify. So the idea of hallowed being his name has everything to do with how we should treat him, not how he treats us. Hallowed be thy name means I'm going to set aside this as a special, consecrated relationship. Because you are not normal. God, you are not common. You are not to be touched by any evil thing. No sin in your presence. You are holy. So, but I get to have a relationship with he who is holy and almighty and invincible and all-knowing. Amen? It's much more about my relationship with him than it is with me. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, Scripture says this, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I, I, I really feel compelled to stop here for just a moment. Because if there's anything I hear on a consistent basis, even by good people, even by people that I would say they're not, they're not ranked sinners out here doing it, I've heard children of God do it. And I really need, I, I'm, as your pastor, I feel an obligation to warn you just a little bit. <laughs> Hallowed or separate should be our uses of his name, not, as Joachim Duma says, not in... in talking about sorcery, 
Sometimes witches want to invoke the name of God in false prophecy. Somehow using God's name to forward somebody's person. Well, God spoke to me and he told me I could do. Mm. By the way, let me say this about, about blasphemy. Y'all are, everybody's worried about blasphemy. Y'all, you know what I'm talking about? Let me tell you, in, in very basic terms, the best way, I think, to understand blasphemy. It's ascribing to God, saying God did something that obviously he did not do. So when, God, when, when, when you look at me and you say, but God told me I could do da-da-da, and I look at what you've just said, and it doesn't line up with the rest of the book, you need to beware. You need to be really aware. Now, you can justify anything you want to, but don't blame it on God. You can do, and in our country, you can do anything you want to do. You can, you can, you can go out there and live a wild lifestyle. Just don't, don't hang it around your own neck to say, oh, but God said I could. Y'all tracking? Uh, is everybody okay? Yeah. We better be very, very careful what we say that God told us to do. I've, uh, I've spoken with my deacons on several occasions about this particular issue. Sometimes we have differences of opinion. And there are very, 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 very few times in the time I've been here that I can say, I know for a fact God told me to do this this way. But you know what? If God does lead us in a particular way, then we certainly need to follow. But I can promise you that the will of God will never go against the word of God. The will of God will never go against the word of God. Swearing false oaths. No, it really happened. I swear to God. Y'all have heard that before, hadn't you? Really? Are you really? Let me tell you what you're doing. You're taking the name of the Lord your God in vain. And he plainly says, I will not hold guiltless those who do that. Other misuses of God's name, either carelessly or without a lot of thought, it's by words. Well, my, mm, good Lord. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Jesus H. Christ. I told y'all this once before, so I'm going to remind you. My name is Maston Ernest Jackson. I want everybody to say that with me. Okay, ready? Maston Ernest Jackson. The next time you mash your thumb with a hammer, leave Jesus alone and take my name in vain. It's okay. I'm giving you permission to take my name in vain. But leave Jesus alone. We don't take his name in vain. Can I have an amen? That's right. Um, Cursing, and I'm just not even going to go there. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Exclamations. Man, this, you you don't, y'all don't understand how much this crawls up me. It's when somebody walks in and somebody's done something for somebody in a big surprise. They walk in and go, oh my. Don't they? It's become a cultural expression of surprise. They don't even care about God. It's just a cultural expression of surprise. But it is t- if you don't mean it in, in such a fashion that you are addressing God or speaking of God in a favorable manner, you're taking the name of the Lord God in vain. If you're using his name for anything other than what it was designed to be used for, you're taking it in vain. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. 
Because we are in the church are doing it as much as the people out in the world. How in the world can we tell, can we, can we preach a full gospel if we can't even take in the name of the Lord, stop taking the name of the Lord in vain? Hallowed or separate. That's what, what that means, hallowed. But you know, it, it's also of our lives. And I'm, let, me, let me share with you why. Because when Paul's writing to Timothy, twice in the letters he wrote to Timothy, he wrote this, he wrote, phrases referencing this. This is what he says. Let as many bond servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. Then he says, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, I'm going to be straight up with you. We think in terms of, of his reputation being hallowed, but if you wear the name of Jesus, you are intended to be hallowed to the, to the work of God. You are intended to be set aside and holy, working in the fields of the Lord. And he's having to call on, Paul, on Timothy to, to issue this warning, leave iniquity behind. If there's any message that the church needs to hear today, it's repent. Stop doing the stupid stuff. Stop sinning. We're taking Jesus' nose and rubbing it in the mud with everybody else when we do that. Stop sinning. Setting apart God's name as unique and powerful and separate from the common and worthy of honor requires that a believer live what he believes about his Father in heaven. You can't tell somebody what you believe if your life screams, I don't believe it. Our Father in heaven is the one we turn to in prayer. And then, in that, in that setting, hallowed is not only his name, it's the quality that makes you and I worthy to enter into his presence in that place because I am set aside as one who is privileged to enter the throne room of heaven. In our world, reputation is of great value. And when we read name, we talk about a name, it matters to us. See, most of us would have no problem with the idea expressed in Proverbs 22.1. It says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. And we want a good name. The problem is this. Are you all listening? The problem with a good name is it only really affects what other people see. It doesn't affect who you really are. You can have a good reputation and be hell on wheels with the people who know you best. Are y'all tracking? Here's a little heads up. If you're more worried about what the people at church know about you than what God does, you got it all wrong. If you're more worried about what the people at church know about you than what God knows, you've missed it. Our lives are to be set aside and to become like our master, faultless and holy. In heaven, a life set aside for the exclusive use of God to his honor and glory is superior to any other reputation. 
Before God, our life is known by the blood of Christ that's washed away all the filth in our, in our thoughts, our private sin in ourself. When we're before God, he doesn't see who we were and who we used to be. He sees our potential reached in Jesus. You see, I don't care what's going on in your life in the past. You let Jesus do what he needs to do in your life. When God sees you, he sees his son. He sees the sacrifice of his son. He he sees his blood, and you are accepted. In Christ, we are set aside for heavenly work and for God's glory. And though I fail often to measure up to the expectations of the king, his son has completed everything necessary for me to do what we're urged to do, which is to become to come boldly before the throne of grace. Well, preacher, you don't know me. There's no way I could, I, I just, I'm not worthy of coming before the Lord. God bless your heart, honey. Welcome to the club. Preacher, you just don't know everything I've done. No, but Jesus does. And when he took the nails for me, He proved these words. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, buried, he carried my sins far away. Can I have an amen? And then rising, he justified freely forever. And one day he's coming back. And when he comes back, this don't rhyme with the music, but he's coming for me. Can I have an amen? He's coming for me. Why? Because as one of his own, I've been set aside for a special purpose. And that is to be one of his, gathered around the throne of God, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. Is your life this morning set aside for God's use? Are there some in vain issues this morning that you need to correct? I want you to know that forgiveness is free. And flows freely. Jesus will forgive all who ask. Have you found yourself dragging the name of God through places it just really doesn't belong? Jesus is waiting to welcome you home. When you bow before the Father in prayer, the condition of your life is ample proof whether or not his name has made a difference in you. Your life is ample proof whether or not God has made a difference in you. So we close with this this morning. Will you this morning put God back into the hallowed place in which he belongs? Somewhere along the line, every one of us root God out of the hallowed place he belongs in our life. And in the process, we walk away from the hallowed place we hold in his heart. Maybe this morning you recognize there's some things you need to straighten up. That's what this altar's for. And in a moment we're going to stand and sing. And I'm going to invite you to come and, and just pour it out. Just, just pour it out. Tell it to Jesus. Maybe here this morning you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I want you to know that your life can be an absolute wreck up until now. And Jesus will repair everything He'll make you whole and prepare to take you to heaven when you die. You will have opportunity to pray to God the Father. You will have an opportunity to kneel before your master and with your hands together put your life in his 
as he commits to take control of yours. Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, this morning, this phrase, hallowed is your name, has rolled off of our tongue for years and we never stopped to think what it really meant. God, you are set aside from the rest of every anything. In the universe, you are unique, holy to yourself. You are high and you are holy and you are lifted up. There's no spot. There's no blemish. There's no sin. There's no nothing. So what in the world do you want with me? God, the strongest thing I can imagine is a love that is willing to accept a rotten me when doing so is going to cost you so dearly. I can't believe you sent your son to die for us. I don't understand how you can love us that much. And I really don't understand how we can walk your name through the sewers of life without even giving it a second thought. Father, this morning, I pray you'd speak to every heart in this place. God, break through the stony ground. God, give us, the, give us that, that yielded moment to come and to kneel before you and to say, oh, Lord, I want you back in that hallowed place in my life, and I want to be in that hallowed spot in your care. God, I lift this time to you, and I pray that you'd be with each of my brothers and sisters as we consider how we need to respond. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.